Welcome to the Culture and Performance Podcast with me, Ben Ryan, where this week is the second parter with Robbie Elliott. Being first is not always the best, and in life, I find everyone's trying to be the first at something, but not the best at something. Take a step back and, and really think about what you're going to do. In business world, it's don't respond straight away to the email. The world is around relationships and trust. If, you, if you've got a good relationship with someone, it goes a long, long way. And again, everyone I work with now and everyone I try and speak to is within that circle. Robbie had almost two decades as a professional footballer, playing over 140 times for Newcastle United and over 250 appearances in total. Now, last week we chatted about his own playing career and some of the iconic managers he worked under, including Ozzy Ardiles, Kevin Keegan, Kenny Dalglish, Sam Allardyce and Sir Bobby Robson. Now, this week we focus on his career post-playing, from his role at Newcastle in the sports science staff to going across to the US to the Nike Research Lab, global football innovation and the other performance work he's been involved in since his retirement. It's a fascinating and insightful journey. And we start with Robbie's move from playing to plying his trade on the other side of the white line at Newcastle United. I went in as a reserves. Um, was fortunate enough to work with Mark Holtz on the, the first team. And it, it wasn't a divide. Like, it wasn't, I'm doing the first team, you're doing the reserves. We, we worked together and taking learnings from Mark, where if you're working with the under-18 player and a first-team player international walks in says, I'm ready, he wouldn't stop with the young player. He'd finish that session, first-team player would start his preparation, but he wouldn't drop just because a bigger name came in. And again, it was a it was a great year, learned so much, but again, learning from behind the scenes and how different it is and dealing with that day-to-day was a, a real eye-opener. And what were your next steps from there? So I... I was with the, the reserves for the year. Um, it came to the end of the season. I actually got headhunted by Nike and US Soccer to become their first performance coach through a, a contact of mine. And it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. It really was. So I left Newcastle and then joined, like I said, it was US Soccer to be the youth 20 male and female down performance coach. Traveled the world with them. Um, went to multiple World Cups qualifiers, went to places I'd never even heard of, and it was amazing. You're working with elite athletes, and there were athletes, tactically naive, but that changed throughout the, the last few years, obviously. That often happens when you start that second phase or you're doing that those first jobs in your new careers that you're literally you're just engulfed in, in, in work and across a whole load of things, and it gives you all this... Like overload of experiences. Yeah, so I, I travelled, I think my last year with the US was 250 days out of the year. Wow. Which was unbelievable because that's that's where I thrive, being in camp. And, and again, you, as a performance coach, SNC, whatever you want to call them in England, you're sort of seen as the warm-up guy and the gym guy. Whereas with US soccer, because of my background, I was elevated. I was, I was planning the sessions. We were planning the camps. We were planning the time in between camps asking recommendations on players so again it just it just grew my knowledge of the game but also made me feel like maybe I was being wasted as a, a warm guy yeah. which which is what you're seeing as in the UK yeah which now you're almost doing a, a role back then which 
now exists in some of the more hybrid and yeah. more forward-thinking clubs that they don't just restrict them to that because of the yeah. knowledge that you add. And one that I go back to Mike Ford, he told me when I was at Bolton, learn Spanish and do your coaching badges. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm from Newcastle, why on earth would I learn Spanish? I tried to do my coaching badge, didn't enjoy it, which is why I went down the performance side. But again, Mike was... You spent a lot of time in America learning and, and seeing what was going on, but I wish I listened. I really do. That that was, If I had a regret, it was not doing the, the Spanish, and and it's not too late. No, it's not. But it could have, it could have aided me so much. And again, I think Mike saw something in me that I didn't see in myself that was going to happen down the line. It's interesting, isn't it, that that was advice from a long time ago long that time people ago, are yeah. now starting to act activate because I think I can't remember the first time I met you I, did you ever do anything with the England Sevens team when you when you rocked up in the Spark Vans in the Spark Vans <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not I, sure if it was I was I think you probably overseas by then yeah I was I was part of the original Spark team over in in Portland yeah so I think I I came back what did that stand for speed, speed power agility reaction quickness Nice, yeah. That was the first time we used the yellow little um, micro hurdles and the yeah, ladders. You still see them about. It, it's crazy. They're, they're, they're still rocking about. But it was an incredible um, little group they put together and the, the way they did it. Unfortunately, down the line, Nike didn't see it or they couldn't see where it was going. There was a strategy, but it never got implemented. We were a standalone company, the Nike acquired us, and that's when it became sort of harder to do it because when you stand alone and if a team says we want you to come in and do it you just jump on the plane and do it yeah but when it comes into the big organization nike you've got to go through different layers and it, it just slowed the process down and it it had to be nike-fied and but it was a it was a fantastic group that we worked in and again i still work with people that from back in the day there and so you said originally when you got headhunted that it was a joint kind of role with us football and nike yeah did that mean that you initially, because a lot of Nike employees do the, they work at wherever they are, so they might be UK based, then they go to European headquarters in Amsterdam, and then they'll go to Portland perhaps, and that might be the pattern, but you went straight to Straight to Portland, Portland. yeah, so literally it was, again, I was traveling so much, the expenses were through the charts, and then when Spark got acquired by Nike, they actually ended up on campus. And they were like, you're missing out not being on campus. And again, I don't know if many of the people on here understand Nike campus. It's, it's in Portland, it's the world headquarters. There's probably 14,000, 15,000 employees on there. And it's called a campus because it's like college. You, once you're there for it, the, you don't go off. There's multiple gyms, swimming pools. We used to play maestro soccer at lunchtime. There'd be frisbee, there'd be numerous canteens. There's a hairdressers, there's a dry cleaners. It, it really is a different world. And coming from the professional football to over there, it was incredible. It really was. Yeah, I've spent some time over there with you there, and there's no built Robbie Elliott building. There's there's a few others. <laughs> there's a few others. There. Yeah. There's the Zebco and the LeBron and uh, Crikey, the Tiger Woods. Um, and your time then at Nike, what was your role? Because um, you know when I when I met you there, it was in the well, it was in the Nike Sport Research Lab. Would that be right? Correct. So I started at Spark and then I went into global football innovation. So basically that was looking at football boots on the World Cup cycle, so four to six years out. Yeah. And the remit was what's changing in the game, how is how can we affect the game through through the boot? And I, I did that for a year. That was really interesting. But 
Nike is so big and there's so many components. I spend a lot of my time not networking, but working with different categories. So I'd, I'd be in the brand meetings, working on savers and the new Nike boot. What performance drills can you do that would make sense in a store, in a press launch, or then a big launch? So that was one part of it. There was the, the merchandise that I was sort of utilized in every category within global football which was fascinating for me. So I got a very rounded um, experience within Nike, not necessarily in my role. So then I moved from Global Football Innovation into, like you said, the, the Nike Research Lab. So I was in the Sports Performance Insights team. Super cool. I mean, if you're talking about dream jobs, it was literally understanding the demands of sport, capabilities of athletes, and telling Nike how sport's changing across multi-sport, um, working with the elite, not only in football but in basketball, NHL. We did a we did a training camp with football players, basketball players, NFL players. We had a surfer, all in the one camp because it's all about training the body and and then you you branch off and do your specific for your sport. But Nike was it, it's an animal, and you know yourself it it's such a huge business. But th- those those four or five years were, were absolutely amazing. Yeah, the innovation stuff because you you know from from an outsider when you go into Nike they they um you know there's there's you know, some places it says you can't t- you take photographs and other things and then your card swipe gets you into a certain building not into other buildings and you can get into see some stuff and then you get told that there's a place is it the kitchen the kitchen yeah um t- maybe tell the listeners what what happens in the kitchen. I don't know if I can tell you what happens in the kitchen. But yeah, it, it's just a general Yeah, it's like, the, the innovation, the far out in it. Again, they have a they have departments that are called space. They're just literally what might happen. And it, it it's a bizarre department because you can never say the wrong. But we we would have to have people so even in global football, we'd have designers in the in the research or innovation that have no, no knowledge of football because you have to have those sort of people to push the boundaries, but then it was my job to reel them back in and say, that ain't ever going to happen. So it, it was a really interesting role. There's a lot of people within design who come from the motor industry and even engineering, because again, the boot is, it's the amount of work that goes into a football boot, I think would blow people away. It, it really is to the, the research, the, the biomechanical analysis there's so many different layers to it it's incredible is there anything then that some you know tell us about some of the innovations that that over your time you were involved around yeah so i was i mean i, I wouldn't say it was necessarily the innovation the the big one was the first cuff boot yep. and again that that was a i don't know where that came out or or what what was the theory behind it and again nike never really figured that one out themselves but th- there were so many different nuances within within a boot and taunting the players and I, I just found it fascinating working across all the sports but how they all there were so many synergies and I think that set me up for what what's gone on since Nike whereas people saying would you like to get back into football and as bad as it sounds I think I would get not bored working in the the one sport but I just the world is it's a big world and there's so many different things you can learn from different people which i think is 
you're foolish not to. Yeah, you keep you, you get that range. Did you have to be quite secretive then at Nike at times around some of the stuff? Oh, 100 percent. You, you could even doing uh, like interviews about Newcastle when they ask about what you're doing, or you, you you can't tell them. And even to this day, I can't tell. Yeah. A lot of the projects I worked on, you just alluded to before how secretive and how hard it is to get into these places yeah it's crazy so i I went back to visit the new lebron building and it's it's easier to get into fort knox at times it's crazy it's a crazy looking building isn't it it's got an it's got um it's got travelator yeah it's got the ramp outside it's overhanging basketball court it it's a beautiful building yeah really is and again nike i'll be Looking back, they are the best sports marketing brand in the world. They they are incredible, and one of the reasons, unfortunately, I moved on from there was it it turned from a performance brand into a, a fashion brand in my eyes. It was more about the next color and what's what's on trend color wise, as opposed to performance and the analysis side. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the hurdles I sometimes have when I'm working with athletes and trying to help them just be their best version and it might be as simple as making sure they're wearing boots that fit them right and have the right stud length and and then they'll be not you know it sounds ridiculous but there's been pro footballers that they don't they don't tie up their shoelaces they'll take out the insoles I mean it's a common thing now where you cut your socks so you know wear and then you know don't wear don't wear the the, the um, the shin guards in the warm up and wear white socks and then cut the, the the actual socks off to pull them over and tape them up and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And I think the, the the percentages you might spend what I don't know how many tens of hundreds of millions that Nike and Addy and all the others will spend on footwear design and then forty percent of footballers just do something to the boot anyway once they get them or they just choose it on the colour that they fancy. Yeah, and again, I when I worked in, in global football, I would bring a lot of the designers and the Americans over. And it was an eye-opener for them. They'd think they'd be going to Old Trafford to watch a game, and I'd take them to Salford back in the day when it was just like the railing round. And I'm like, what we're doing here? I'm like, look at what people are actually wearing. Because they're used to seeing the Ronaldos who are getting the boots for free. The people are actually buying the boots. Yeah. How many, how many of the latest Nike boots are out there? Tell me and ask them why. So again, the insights into meeting, I want to say real people who actually buy the boots that is something that sometimes at Nike is separated because you do have the high end, the high end, the high end. But in reality, how many, how many of the younger generation are wearing them? Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and even going down the levels, I think, what is it? The, um, the Players Association give a credit note for, for footballers, don't they, in the yeah. lower leagues to buy a couple of pairs. Yeah. But I was amazed you know even in rugby like as a scrum half i'd probably i'd have a, i'd have two maybe three pairs of boots at every game because you 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 wonder whether it's you know staying on your feet was really important and so your studs length yeah. is really important so you have two or three pairs um and you might have a pair that's half a size bigger or smaller because you might for whatever reason want to wear an extra pair of socks but it was it was absolute tools of my trade but there'll be footballers in good pro teams in the football league that will have one pair of boots that they'll take to, to games yeah, yeah. It, it, it's crazy but also even the education side and you, they are the tools of your trade but the amount of trust the players put into these brands that have things right yeah. it's crazy yeah. it really is and 
again I'm, I'm working on a, a really fun project at the minute and just getting out there and, and talking to players and the perception of the boots it, it's really fascinating yeah I bet and that takes us a lovely little segue Robbie to where you are now because just before Covid you set your own consultancy up um, that does some fascinating stuff do you mind kind of just talking about that yeah so I'm very English in the way I work I, I don't like to self-publicise and again at, at Nike that sort of was detrimental to what I what I could do and what I did do but when I when I left Nike I then realised how good a connections I have in, in global sport and and amazingly how well respected I am within this so I set up my own consultant agency just literally under an umbrella because it was when I was at Nike that people were saying that there isn't another one of me who's played 17 years professional, who's done a sports science degree, who's worked at Nike for 10 years on the business and learned that yeah. sort of environment. You're so, in a very small club. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, don't pigeonhole yourself. So literally what I did was I set up an own consultant agency and it's anything to do with sports performance, wellness, health, technology. Um, and it, it's been it's been an amazing journey covid was fascinating in so many respects of i never turned down a, a coffee or a phone call or a zoom and you i sort of spent the year realizing who i wanted to work with and who i didn't and who aligned with what i what i think is right so that was the first year we're coming out of it now and and doing some really cool projects and some fun things out there and and again it, it's it's been fascinating working on a one the the sports documentaries have just got launched a Ronaldinho one so oh, wow. there's so many cool little things that have gone on that I would never have been able to do in a, a full-time job but again every day is different and that's something that I thrive on yeah no like I think the last time you were over wasn't that long ago actually a couple of months maybe yeah. less and there were a couple of things that you showed me and we end up having very random conversations about all sorts of things that <laughs> yeah. we think is, is going on um is that where you get your energy from just that that range and that curiosity yeah but I think there's also there's so many synergies with everything that that goes together and what I've learned with with sports with the multi-sports but also the technology and you'll you'll know yourself people talk a good game but when you strip it back and you spend more than an afternoon in a, a place it's not happening and there's huge opportunities and we know how we can we can help people and that's the beauty the knowledge you can take from for me that the NBA, the NHL, Olympians and put into football, there's a there's a huge opportunity to actually make players better. Yeah, I, to I totally agree. And also maximise the impact of the practitioners and coaches yeah. and, man and, and managers. Um, you're based in Los Angeles. Um, do you think that gives you an advantage on what you're doing? Is it just a more creative place to be able to do what you're doing? I mean, just any, anyone who, <laughs> yeah, that, that helps. I think anyone who, who knows America, been to America, it is the land of opportunity. They call it that because it is. You have to go through a lot of charlatans and prove yourself. But LA is is unique, and it has the two NFL, two NBA, two baseball, two football. It's now got the women's team. You've then got all the entertainment side. You then in the off seasons. A lot of players come over there, so you've got the Red Bull facility. It is the hub of health yeah. and wellness. You're not far from the tech Silicon Valley. Silicon and, Valley, yeah. and, and again, it's every week you get introduced to someone, someone else, someone new, someone who else, and it, it is a small world. And I, I have a very small group that I talk to and trust, 
but again in LA there's so many different conversations bizarrely I was talking to the UK embassy the other day and, and how we can help them with stuff so it, it just yeah. like I said never turn down a coffee or conversation because you never know where it goes with that in mind and like you've you know your, your like your resume is, is is an incredible one and it's given you such a unique well you can see things from lots of different angles based upon what you've done and and, and who you've who, who you know and your network where do you have you got any thoughts around the future where you're seeing any trends that you'd like to share with the listeners because i'm sure there's a few things we've talked about that you want to keep private um for, for quite rightly but is there anything that you're seeing that you, you can see as a as a future trend it's all i want to say value propositions you, you, you're trying to solve for a problem not cause a problem which data nowadays and again there's so much that out there that that causes issues people don't want to sift through the state and what is it telling them a lot of the data people are collecting it across all sport it's, it's serving no purpose whatsoever yeah so the ability to get through that with ai machine learning to make it actually actionable i think that's where there's there's going to be a switch very quickly again people are saying they're doing it that there's not many out there that are doing it right and we all know that even if, let's go back to football it's all about the Saturday how can you maximise your players and is anyone doing that at the minute no yeah no I, I'm, I'm with you on that because I think like, I remember using GPS in 2006 and it gave us a competitive advantage at the time because we were the only rugby team using it and we were getting some good information and also like I was giving it on the referees so I was seeing who the rubbish ones that were unfit <laughs> we could probably get away with a little bit more around the breakdown but now everyone's on, everyone's got them and everyone's got the recordings and match day and the gap that I'm seeing is that the coaches then are looking at this and they're getting the data and they're going, yeah, but how's that going to help us win? It might, you know, we might get a bit of data and see some information that might be interesting, but is it useful? Yeah. Is that the sort of things you're seeing yeah, as well? Yeah, again, there's difference between trends and insights and it's sifting through a lot of the, the work and again... One of, the, one of my roles in that was to be the filter you know it's yeah. there's so much noise out there it's chipping down and what actually can affect it's all about the game no matter what sport you're in it's all about that game how can you affect the game to the best to get the best out of your players to then get them to repeat that the next week is that's where there's a huge opportunity yeah and what about one one question that I'm curiously trying to find some answers for is measuring energy that's not just it's it's not just related to your physical energy but like the stresses that you get from from the life from 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 so players you know are just as likely to have a bad game because of what's going on with their misses or something else you know they just bought a load of crypto that's crashed and <laughs> it's stressing stressing them out that stuff is like to have that information available and to a manager to then as a coaching group help help them navigate that so you know yeah I think that the mental side is at the forefront of a lot of people at the minute but it's not necessarily connected or related to the the game which the the, the are people doing stuff but again it's if a manager knew that the player wasn't mentally right because of an off the field thing are they open enough to not play the player because at the end of the day you're always three games away from, from the sack in football. So you have to have forward-thinking staff and teams, and we spoke about this off offline. There's a few teams who are open to doing some really interesting stuff, 
but again it's at a risk because the Premier League is a very hard league and it's all about that Saturday game but if you do have a collective understanding about about what's important in the more longer term you've got a chance that that organisations that do that are going to just get ahead of the curve Um, and and going full circle you know you didn't have GPS and all the various other things that people are, are using now as body sensor network stuff Sir Bobby Robson for example though his filter would have been so good that he would have he would have been able to see all that stuff. He wouldn't have needed GPS to understand or, uh, you know, whether a player was ready to play on the Saturday. Yeah, and it, it, again, you look at all these wellness questionnaires that players do, does it really affect... It, it's retrospective that yeah. they look at. It's yeah. not actually affecting... And again, there's one there's one team who I won't mention, they do the wellness, and the coaches who who is actually the one that takes it with the players he says I don't even have to ask the players nowadays I can tell by the way they're walking into the well, well that does that not yeah. defeat the object of what it is and I had it with uh, we did it with one of the youth teams in, in the US soccer when I worked there and the players because it's an education they're only young kids it's like they would just put what they thought the coach wanted to hear Yeah. so I've we heard had that a, loads of times we had a day off planned and I'm in the van and the it was the, the girl group and they were really excited and I'm like oh we've got training tomorrow they said why is it a day off I said no because you put green on everything the coach thinks she can keep pushing you and they're like well we're knackered and I said well make this as an experience I'll get the session cancelled but you have to tell me the truth because we're here to help you and if you don't tell us the information we can't help Yeah. and again that, that happens in the senior game as well where players they're never going to show a weakness because again you don't want to give the coach an opportunity not to play you yeah, I've I've seen that with players and one of the clubs I've done some consultancy with. They've got rid of the wellness fit that exact because players are filling it in just so they get don't get dropped. Yeah, but you don't only that intervention only happened because of the human, you know that yeah. that human point where you where you dropped in that's still massively valuable. Yeah, um, I think I, I, the big thing I found over the last two years is the world is around relationships and trust. If, you, if you've got a good relationship with someone, it goes a long, long way. And again, everyone I work with now and everyone I try and speak to is within that circle. Yeah, that's Robbie, that's a great way to, to finish our conversation. But I, did, I didn't give you, I, I probably gave you jet-lagged yesterday a bit of time scale to think of any favourite books, films, documentaries, pods or music or a quote. And let's start with any, any books that, that you'd recommend to the listeners. So I do non-fictional that's that's yeah. literally where I go it used to be all the, the biographies of players and NBA players cyclists I used to go to America every summer and again learn from other sports you know like the big names the likes of Rodman and, and people like that but the Gladwell books I think are, are yeah. fantastic yeah. Um, and then I am all about I write down what my daily schedule is I'm, I'm all about ticking things off doing so the checklist, I think, is a is a really fascinating book and something yeah. that I see myself and I'm I'm passing on to my kids. One my one of my lads wants to be an orthopedic surgeon. You and this is what the checklist is. You have to get things right, and by writing things down, I think you become more accountable. So I, I try and read a book that's actually going to help me in my life, as opposed to I don't necessarily have that much time to to read books just for fun. Yeah, that's that's a that's a cracking suggestion. What about films or documentaries? Anything that you you just either just love or recommend? 
Yeah, so films, document. I'm, I'm all about the army. I think okay. everything fascinates me about the army. All like the likes of the TV shows, like the Homeland, the CIA's, FBI's. I love, but sports documentaries are, are still my my go-to. And I think the the few that I've seen recently, I think um, the Maradona one in Napoli, yeah. I thought was fascinating. Yeah. Again, the timing of it, but just the behind the scenes was in, incredible. The footage and the foresight that people are following her around and just seeing what life was in Napoli because everyone understood a little bit about that time but the way he dragged that city from nothing to being the champions was just mind-blowing um, my favorite sports documentary probably ever was the first living with the lions yeah which was way before its time it's never been replicated really has it, it people have tried and yeah. the problem I have with the ones nowadays is it's too scripted it's I, I, I look at the Man City one and I just get frustrated when the it's October, they've won a, a game and they're punching the roof and dancing. I look back to my time, we'd shake hands and say on to the next one. You know, it's you don't win the league, you don't lose the league in October. And that for me, I, I would hate to be in that type of dressing room. Yeah. Whereas back in the day, it's like, yeah, back to work. We're, we've got more to go. But living with the Lions was just, it's amazing. I, I still watch it now. Yeah. But even knowing some of the players who played in it, that for me, we never had that in football. You were never allowed, and I think the dressing room is a sanctuary. I, I don't think people should be in there. These photos after the games, not for me. I'm like, you've earned, you've earned the right to be in the dressing room. It's a special place. Keep it special. I know some people think that's outdated, but that for me is the way the way I see it. So, live with the Lions, one night in Turin. Yep. Yeah. I think it's a an amazing, amazing documentary. And it just takes it. If you watch it, it just takes you back to that time, that era. And then the 30 for 30s, the ESPN ones. Again, moving to America, I watched them all because even the marching band, the things that you had no concept of. But June June 17th, the OJ Simpson one, is the best one for me. Oh, well, that's that's my Sunday afternoon sorted. Then after oh, have the you not seen it? No, I haven't seen oh, it. No. It's, it's amazing it's, you're the second person this week that's talked about the 30s for 30s and yeah. how they've gone through the whole lot and I, I remember hearing about them a while ago um, and I've, I've seen some of them but yeah I need to get stuck yeah, into get them that one. Yeah. let me know what you think it's, it's stunning and is there a quote at all that so I, I, I try not to, to live my life off quotes but again the one that it made me chuckle when I first heard it and I, I actually use it every now and again so early bird catches a worm the second mouse gets the cheese so it's it's literally it, it, in my eyes is take a step back and and really think about what you're going to do in in business world it's don't respond straight away to the email take your time have a think do it the next day if it's one that you're not happy with so it just made me laugh the because everyone goes any bird catches a worm then I'll come in and say yeah but the second mouse gets the cheese so being first is not always the best and in life I find everyone's trying to be the first at something but not the best at something and I'd rather take my time learn and become the best and that's when I will speak up I won't pretend to be the best at something if I don't know Robbie has spent the last decade and more finding technology and innovation that will improve performance but what he values above everything else is trust and relationships and I couldn't agree more 
You can have all the money in the world and the latest tech and flow of data, but without the right human connections in that system, well, you may as well have nothing. I hope you've heard in the last two shows with Robbie that he's a very authentic bloke that I trust and respect hugely, and he just gives off those positive vibes. Our conversations are always full of variety and looking at solutions for current performance issues or gaps, and that's his strength as a consultant. I can talk to him about plantar fasciitis, end-stage rehabilitation, pre-match routines or psychological safety, and he's comfortable throwing some ideas around as he's got a really great foundation across a very wide range and will always be aware of the application in real life in the cauldron of professional sport and apply the filter and the perspective. That's really where my focus lies, to help foster that in an individual and organisation and not to provide retrospective information to coaches or athletes, but give them information they can do something about, make an intervention before, not after something has occurred and make sure whatever tools they use really makes a difference. Now, the various resources Robbie and I mentioned will be in the show notes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. And whilst you're there, please click on the follow or subscribe button so that you can be notified when the next episode is available. And also give us a review and a rating if you've got some time. This has been the Culture and Performance Podcast with me, Ben Ryan. Thanks for listening.